There have been a lot of great hockey players over the years. Legends, both on and off the ice. The Overtime Podcast checks in with some of hockey's biggest names and talks about what these great players are up to today. Welcome to the Overtime Podcast. Here's your host, Gino Retta. Hey, hockey fans. Welcome to the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. You know I've spent over four decades working in the game, fortunate enough to meet some of the greats of the game, saw them come into the league, watched them shine, and now they've moved on to life after hockey. The 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast gives us a chance to catch up, tell some stories, to relive some great memories, and hear what they're up to today. Today's NHL legend, a two-time Stanley Cup champion, a two-time NCAA champion, truly one of the great shot blockers in NHL history, and there's some great stories there, Craig Ludwig. Craig, welcome to the show. Great to catch up with you again, my friend. Oh, thank you. It's great great for me. It's a pleasure for me. I was I was uh, pumped when I, you guys reached out, and I'm like, wait a minute. I, there must be another Ludwig <laughs> I'm talking about. So I appreciate you having me on. I, I love uh, – I actually have one of these podcast deals now, so I, I love these little things because you can edit a lot out, so you'll probably need to – here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the Crave. Download the 7Now delivery app, and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious Crave crushers to your door almost before you can say, Fuel me up, Sev. You know the Crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just eleven ninety nine, order a large, hot-from-the-oven-in-minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a 2-liter Coke or Pepsi for $2.00. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats, 24-7. For those who don't know your origin, and I think this is really important to, to tell the backstory, you're from, and I want to get this right, is it Rhinelander, Wisconsin? Is that right? Well, that's been pissing people off for a long time. <laughs> um, technically, we didn't have a hospital um, that apparently could do the birthing. And I'm from a town called Eagle River. It's only about... 15 miles from Rhinelander, which is where the biggest hospital was in, in my yeah. hometown of 1,200 people. So uh, I've been getting a lot of people over the years that are unhappy that it says Rhinelander on the <laughs> hockey cards. But I, I'm just happy people still remember and they're still pissed off about something. So, But that's close enough. Uh, the, the biggest claim to fame there is we have a, a big uh, country. It's called the Hodag. Big country fest. About 25,000 rednecks out in the field. So I'll be there in about a month and a half. <clears throat> the big claim to fame, my friend, is you, because now, like, you went from a town of 1,200 population to a guy who played with Guy Lafleur, Bob Ganey, Guy Carboneau, winner of a, a couple of Stanley Cups, a couple of NCAA titles. Um, did you ever in your wildest imagination dream that this would be your life? No, not so. I, and you know what? I, I was never that kid growing up that even thought about playing any kind of hockey past high school. I was just, uh, I was a three sport athlete. I was probably, um, at the time I thought I was better than in baseball and, um, and football. And, you know, we were seasonal in my little town. And, um, so I was able to play all, all three sports during the year. I actually got invited to the Cincinnati Reds camp. I, I never, wow. I wish I would have, but I, I never did. And um, I was going, I was a walk-on at school and I was going to go there and either play football or hockey. And it, my whole career, um, when you mentioned those guys right off the top, my whole career to me has been being in the right place at the right time. You know, I ran into a, a coach when I got to North Dakota, uh, Rick Wilson, 
And, you know, it just kind of went on from there and they just kind of, they saw a kid that was raw, I suppose, and had some size and thought we could, we could mold him into this. And, you know, that, then it just kind of moved down the road a little bit. You end up drafted by the Montreal Canadiens uh, in the 1980 draft. I think it was like 81st overall by the Habs. Now, all of a sudden, you're going to one of the most storied organizations in NHL history, and you get the speech from Bob Gainey, as every new kid in that town gets. Tell our audience about the speech and what it meant to you. Well, you know, the, there were the one thing that stands out from, from that day when we, we got to Montreal and we were part of the team. You know, first of all, I, and again, I, when I got there, when I got drafted, I, I was doing a hockey camp in, in North Dakota. And I got called into the office in July or June, whatever it was. And, you know, Coach Gasparini, Gino Gasparini told me I've been drafted. And I said, oh, really? And and I and he goes, like, are you excited about this? And I'm like, well, I know nothing's going to come out of it, Coach. And then he, we had a little talk. And so I, I started to leave. And he goes, well, do you want to know who drafted you? And I said, oh, yeah, who was it? And and he told me it was Montreal. And I kind of looked at him. I'm like, yeah, good good luck on that one. So <laughs> So I uh, so when I got to when I got to training camp, all the hype was about Matt Naslin, uh, yeah. remember John Newberry, yeah. and it was funny because the year before, uh, John Newberry had played in uh, Wisconsin, and we had a big brawl there, as everybody knows, Wisconsin and North Dakota, yeah. and Arch rivals. They ended up putting me in a room in the hotel with Newberry, and so <laughs> I didn't understand that. I think Claude Ruel had something to do with that, but. Um, let's see which one comes anyway, outstanding. Is that the idea? I, you know what? I'm like, okay, let's see what he's got. <laughs> let's see who comes yeah. out of that, that room. But it was funny because, you know, I'd come back to the room during the day and, you know, like, and I remember so vividly noobs said something to me and um, he, he was, he, he said, well, don't worry about it. You're not going to be in the minors long. You'll be back up here with us. And Wow. I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. Well, the next day was the final cut, and he wasn't there anymore. And so he was gone. And so yep. – and I, I still didn't know. And then you, you fast-forward it to that day that you're there, and 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 this is probably what got me in trouble a lot. And, you know, Bob gets up, and and as you know, Bob didn't talk a lot. and But when he did, it's that guy that carries a big stick, literally. Yeah. And, yeah. and he just does all the things, and welcome to the team, and – all this kind of stuff. And and I can remember, which is probably what got me in trouble over my last 40 years is like, we only have really three rules here with the club. And if, you know, it's your, it's your teammates, your, your family and your religion. And there was a pause and, and it's in that order. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So I ran back and I actually had my girlfriend that became my wife for 17 years uh, at the time. And I was so happy to run back and tell her, you ain't going to believe what this speech was. <laughs> it was like a green light for me to come out every day. <laughs> and, uh, but, but you know, it was what you, what you got was you got it's business and, and we are, and I, and, and again, good or bad, I've lived by those rules and, and yeah. I try. I try to tell our play. I work with a, our U18 team. We travel around the country with AAA program. And, um, you know, and then in the locker room, it, it just kind of spills over. And, and ultimately, and then that big sign on the wall, um, mm-hmm. you know, really don't understand it, or at least I didn't until I started getting, you know, six, six, seven, eight years in there. And you see what Larry Robinson is doing with you and Rick Green and Bob Ganey and Flower and all these guys. And all of a sudden it starts yeah. to make 
you know, we're passing the torch, passing the torch. Yeah. yeah. And, and you had your, I heard a great story about the fact that you talk about eye openers and I think a big eye opener probably for you would have been, because remember you're a guy from Wisconsin where not a lot of French speaking guys. Out of Wisconsin. Uh, no. <laughs> so Guy Lafleur puts you in his car. You come back from a road trip, by the way, just Guy Lafleur driving you anywhere is pretty freaking insane. Uh, and he, he takes you to a French speaking small bar. <laughs> what kind of an eye-opening experience was that for you? Not only for what have I like, what culture am I involved in here, and and how big is this organization here? It was uh, it was hard for me. I was scared, to be totally honest with you. I remember him. We were on the plane, and he said, uh, "Hey, I'll give you a ride home tonight." And uh, I was like, "No, oh. that's, I'm cool. I got a car. <laughs> I got my car at the airport." And he goes, "No, no, I'm giving you a ride home tonight." I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> Mr. LaFleur says he's giving you a ride home tonight. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, it was, I, I guess when I got there, I wasn't shy about having a beer or two with the guys, you know, and it was funny because I just, I, I spent you know, the whole summer working out probably harder than I ever had. I didn't drink at all. And I was trying to get yeah. that, that, that kind of training camp shape. Little did I know I should have just continued to do what I had been doing my entire life. and Because that's and, what was going on in the league. <laughs> and, well, and then you get there and you, you figure out that, you know, the whole Molson thing and they're delivering two cases of beer to your house every, every couple yeah. of weeks. And I'm living next door to Ryan Walter and Wally doesn't want his beer. So I'm getting four cases <laughs> every two weeks, <clears throat> but, but so flowers says, let's, let's go for a beer. And I'm thinking to myself, man, we're going the wrong way from where my car is. We're going, you know, out yeah. where they live in there. And so we walk in this bar and, and there isn't a soul that obviously knows me, but you know, the carpet is laid out for flower and everybody, comes, yeah. you know, and he just kind of, you know, said, we'll sit right there. And he ordered some, uh, he was into the Dom Perignon at the time. And I was, you know, and I sure was, was. I don't know what the hell it was, to be honest with you at the time. And, and then I, I figured out how expensive it was. And he'd always get down to like the last quarter of the bottle and he'd flip it over in the bucket. And I'm thinking, man, that's about 300 bucks that just went in the bottom of the bucket in the ice there. And so anyway, then he'd get up and start talking. And, and I eventually got my way to the bar and I sat at the bar and people were talking to me and I didn't understand a word. I just nodded my head. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I actually looked around and I went, uh oh, this was the whole rookie thing. He left me. Uh -huh. And that was, and now how am I going to get out of here? How do I even talk to somebody about getting a ride? How do I explain where my car is? Oh, well, man. naturally, Flower was out roaming around, you know, doing his thing in a black corner, talking to people. And I, yeah. so I, I navigated my way out of there. But, but again, looking back, how cool was it that, that I was able, a guy like that, yeah. Asked me to go for a ride. And I'm thinking to myself, maybe he did that with every young guy. But again, that just tells you what the culture was. And we use that yeah. word. Sometimes we throw it around too loosely. But when you get there, um, it's in you. And it's still in me. And it's what I try to hand down to our group of guys. And, you know, even in the going into Dallas and you know, all the other teams you play with, yeah. like this, this is how it's supposed to be. Yeah. We're in conversation with two-time Stanley Cup champion Craig Ludwig. This is the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. Not long after that, uh, I mean, the Habs were a story organization, four straight Stanley Cups in the 70s and such. And uh, then there was a pause. And then you're part of the 86 Cup winning team. A, you win your first Stanley Cup. And B, you win it in an insane hockey market like Montreal after for what they, they had in mind was a bit of a drought. What was that experience like? 
<laughs> there was a lot of eye openers for me. Um, <laughs> I I truly what had I had been there? What what was that? Three four years before? Four years, yeah. Something you like think that. you started playing there in '82, and you guys yeah. won in '86, yeah. Yeah, and and I probably I didn't appreciate the fans. I think until the day of the parade. Um, yeah. you know how intelligent they are and, and, you know, and that was at the time they're still wearing the suits and very classy and, and which made us, you know, our standards were raised, what you do in the public and all that kind of stuff, at least most of us. And, and then, you know, you get to that parade and you're like, what is that? I mean, there were people that were throwing ropes <laughs> and they were sitting in the, in the lights and the crotches of the lights up there and they were trying to throw yeah. bottles to them. And I, I don't know how many hours it took us in the parade to get there. But when you see all those people coming out for that and, and, and I played in a, you know, I played in North Dakota, we won a couple championships. And at the time, North Dakota was a pretty big school when it came yeah. to hockey. Yeah. Um, but still I, is in fairness. It yeah, still, it is. still is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But, but the thing is you're on a tundra out there. So nobody comes out and has a parade outside yeah. <laughs> in February. So, or even in July, there. As a matter of fact, there's still ice on the water. But but I, I think what I that, that what that experience was for me was how important it was to the fan base, and, and I think mm. it got you more dialed in. And I knew the whole thing and the papers. Your name would be in the paper when I saw the buses, and there would be a whole bus for the media and one bus for the players. So I I didn't probably have any idea what that was all like. But again, I, I think it was what it does. I think is it it gets you to understand even more how important your preparation is for the games, mm. how you perform in the games, um, and that it's about winning. And and, yeah. and the people, those people there in Montreal live and die by it. They live and die by that team. One of the things that, that really made Habs fans love you and, and ultimately Dallas Stars fans love you as well when you won a cup with them was the fact you make the sacrifices. You do everything you had to do to win. There is no doubt in my mind, you're one of the greatest shot blockers in the history of the NHL. I was actually, Dave Poulin works with me. He's one of our analysts at TSN, and I work with him. I say, Pooley, I'm talking to Craig Ludwig tomorrow. And he goes, oh, you got to ask him about those freaking shin pads. <laughs> Look, he's, they were the biggest shin pads I've ever seen. They, were, they looked like they're wearing goalie pads. Like, tell me about the shin pads and why. Why are you out there diving in front of Al McGinnis' shot? Probably one of the greatest shots in NHL history, and you would dive in front of it. I, you're lucky to be alive. There were hands broken on goalies. I remember he blew right through Mike Vernon's glove, like exploded his glove and broke his hand. Like, I don't understand that mentality, Craig. Um, again, it was something that was put into me when I was in school. But, but I think that the short answer to that is – I saw how much it meant to everybody that to winning hockey games and, you know, and our, and our MO at the time was you don't give up goals and you know, you, you, it's not like it is now. They're not six to four games, six to five. And and that was the identity of your team. And the other thing is, is like, I, I wasn't going to be that other defenseman. I knew who I was. Um, I got, and you asked why, when I got to North Dakota and I mentioned Rick Wilson earlier, when I got there, Wilson would have drills where he would stand, we would be on the hash marks, and Wills would be on the blue line and he'd have a whole pile of pucks and we would have to skate out towards the, the middle hash mark in front of the net and he would just drill them at us. And, and it was about learning how to block and how to go down and, you know, when you go down and things like that. And so it was there in me. Um, so I just believe because the, 
back to Gino, when I left there, uh, when I went to win our, 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 when we won our first national championship, he came up to me in the locker room and he called me on the hall and he said, Hey, I don't want you to think about leaving school because you're not ready. And I'm like, why the hell would I leave school? And what am I ready for? Cause I, again, it wasn't a, a yeah, 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 yeah. down the road. And, and then what happened was two years later, we win the national championship in the same building. He walks into the same locker room, calls me out again. And he says, let's, I want you to meet someone. And he pointed down the hall and it turned out to be Bill Waters. And mm -hmm. he goes, that's your agent. I'm like, what? He goes, that's your agent. He goes, we got no more classes for you to take here. It's time for you to go. And I'm like, okay. wow. <clears throat> so that, that's when I, that's when that's I left. Cool. And, and the last thing he said to me was be who you are when you get there. Too many players mm -hmm. leave here to get there and they try to be people that they are. Do what you do because they drafted you because they believe that you can fit into that. Now yeah. you get happy there, you go Perrier there, and all of a sudden he kind of takes a shine to you because he sees probably the same things they saw in North Dakota. So I stay with that. And those shin pads, those shin pads were given to me as a freshman in North Dakota, and they were used for like 10 to 15 years prior to that. I used those pads my whole career, and what happened was they kept breaking. I was going to say they had to break, man. Come on. They were the, the plastic was breaking and what was happening was and there was one game in particular I was taking my skate off and I'm like what, what's so wet what had happened is part of the plastic broke and it was oh, sticking man. in my skin and so that there was blood in, in my skate and it was filling up and I, I went to our trainer and I said hey you got to figure out how to fix it he goes dude I got a brand new pair of I said no I'm not I wore four pair of skates in my entire career so I was not I, I hate new stuff so what we did is that that plastic pair of stuff that when you you get hit with a puck and they, they warm it up and they mold it around your wrist yeah. or around your arm, whatever, we use that. So we put it on the shin pads, we covered up the cracks and the holes, and then he riveted them together. But what happens when that stuff cools, it starts to expand. That's how those pads oh. – Oh, yeah. I've been accused of parking my vehicle on him. Glenn Sather, the year here in Dallas, when we beat them at Edmonton, he had a petition the next year. Sather put it into the National Hockey League that there needed to be a, a width or something or some rule. That's hilarious. Had. So it, it was just an old piece of equipment. And as a matter of fact, I am going out in two days from now and picking them up. I finally found them. They, they had one of the teams we were working with here in the East Coast League at the time, uh, Allen American. They had them, they found them in a storage unit and they brought them into the hall so I could go downstairs before, you know, I was coaching and stuff like that there to uh, sign them and stuff like that. I just found them after I saw the text message from 2007. There was a text message that said, hey, we, I have your shin pads from some dude out in the, down about 20 miles from here. So I'm picking them up in two days from now. As a matter of That's fact. That's hilarious. Oh, that, yeah. And they're, you they're gotta, a, you got to text out a picture of that. We got to post that up sure. somewhere. I will that. I think it still has. I think it still has. And what I would do in the playoffs, all probably the time, still loaded with blood. Uh, well, the well, it's kind of moldy on the inside for sure. Oh, I mean, that geez. that stuff is bad. And it still has. I guarantee there's still some uh, duct tape on the outside because when I there were some cracks that weren't filled in, but I would always try to find the duct tape color of the team that we were playing in the playoffs. So uh, if it was the Blues, I'd have blue on there. Yeah. So I'm sure that's still on them somewhere. That's hilarious. That is hilarious. Things I'd never thought I'd hear. Plaster Paris on uh, shin pads. And still to this day, I, I still understand how you were standing in front of Al McGinnis and you're walking today, which is, which is great. So you had a great, you had a great run, uh, some big eye opening times coming into the Habs organization. You had a great run with the Habs. You went a cup in 86 with them. Then you get dealt to the New York Islanders difficult transition that didn't go real well at all, but 
1991, you get reunited with Bob Ganey and Doug Jarvis in Minnesota. What was that like getting back together with these guys? Uh, it was a, a very, very pleasant surprise. I had a, uh, I had a call and, and it was in the previous summer and just asked, would you be interested in coming and playing in Minnesota? And, and I was like, absolutely. And so I thought it was going to happen uh, a little sooner. And I got a call and said, listen, we tried to make the deal but they just wanted too much for you. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> and, uh, but, but don't worry, you'll be here next year. And so that's what happened. And I was super excited. Um, obviously, uh, Bob, I, you know, I talk about Bo quite a bit to a lot of people that he always seems to come up and, and things that I'm doing. And I'm saying he's been my Scotty Bowman. Uh, it, it was mm. just the way when, when my, I remember my rookie year, the same thing. He came, we were on a plane and, and Bo grabbed a couple beers and we walked back to a seat and he asked me, he goes, tell me what you think about our power. And he handed me a piece of paper and a pencil and he goes, uh, tell me about our, our penalty kill. And I'm thinking, well, first off, I'm, I'm a rookie kid again. And then I'm sitting in the in the seat with the captain of the Montreal Canadiens where, you know, yeah. we all sat in front and and he's asking me and I'm and I'm like, uh, what do you mean? And so he wanted me to draw up the PK and things like that. And Bob had yeah. the he, he answers these questions. He thinks about everything. He he is way ahead of you when he, his thought process. And so I, I gave it to him and I said, well, here's what I think. And he'd look at it. He'd look at me. He'd look at it again. He'd look at me. Then he goes, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> I got that one wrong already. So... So, you know, we, so we go down that, that whole road and I, that's why I was excited to get there with Bob because I knew what he was doing in Minnesota yeah. and, you know, you guys got Madonna and Hatcher and Matt Fachuk and those guys yeah. were there, um, Neil Broughton, you know, coming off of everything that he, Neil was doing. So, and I was now all of a sudden I was four hours from my home. And so mm -hmm. now some of my friends, which I later learned they, it, four hours is too close where they would call you a couple weeks in advance and say, Hey, we're, we're coming. Any chance we can, yeah, oh, no problem. Come to this game. And then it basically evolved into the doorbell would ring and said, Hey, we're here for the game tonight. That's so, the problem with being too available. My friend, well, That's your yeah, fault. But, I mean, you know, they're, they're the guys that I, I hang with the same guys I still do. And we've yeah. they've been part of me my whole life. So, but it was very exciting to me there. Um, it was disappointing from the standpoint that it was that transition period in Minnesota, you know, things were yeah. going independence wise and things like that. Let's talk about that. I mean, that was, that was a difficult time for you because for, for the younger audience who don't realize this, the, the Minnesota North stars were pre the Dallas stars. And then in the, the early nineties, they ended up moving the organization to Dallas. What's that like when you're in Minnesota, you had a pretty good team. You guys went to the cup final and yeah. yet you're in the Met center, not a great barn. Uh, your owner, Norm green, not real popular with the local community at all. So at one point there was like, this team is definitely going to be moving. So now you're, you're trying to play to an audience in Minnesota that knows you're about to leave to go to Dallas and you end up going to Dallas. How hard was that transition? It, it, actually, it wasn't that hard. I think, I think because it was all new to us. It was like a new frontier. We're going to Texas. Like what the hell's in Texas? And <laughs> they don't know anything about that. And so Especially you know, when you're leaving here. Minnesota, when you're leaving Minnesota, where you freeze your butt off and now you're in Dallas yes. where it never gets cold. That's that's do you play hockey there? Well, that no, that, trust me, all of those things were going on. And but but the, I think the what made it maybe easier for the players is because the attendance wasn't anywhere. near. And again, you're coming from a market like Montreal and you've got, you know, all this because after a while you love it, like you miss it if you don't have all those people that are in the building. And so. 
So the, you know, we knew about it. We heard about it. And then all of a sudden we, we were gone. So it wasn't that bad. And I'll tell you what, they say you never get a second chance to make a first impression. We kind of did because we went into Absolutely. a market where they don't know anything about what's going on. And yeah. I remember our very first uh, two things that stick out from the year we got here. We had, we played a preseason game in Fort Worth here. And I think it was, it was called Will Rogers, but anyway, the ice was completely frozen with crickets. And <laughs> Come on. Uh, no, you were skating out and all you saw were crickets all over in the ice. I mean, they were I've not never heard this before. It didn't, it didn't affect anything, but when they, when they, the cricket, whatever, when they let, put the water down and turn the temperature down, they all froze in there. So you saw all these crickets in there. And then when we played, when we went over to reunion arena, we played our first or second preseason game and, you know, you got so many guys and not everybody's playing and all that kind of stuff. So we're sitting in the stands and a couple of cowboys sitting behind us or in front of us where well, I can't remember where they were, but, but they were talking about, and I remember Bratzi scored the, the goal. Bratzi scored the first goal in that exhibition game. And also you could hear these guys talking about, look at this. They don't even know how to keep score. They only got one point on the board. They thought it was supposed to be like a field goal. They thought there should be three points up there. And we kind of at least three, like, maybe six. Yeah. Yeah. What the hell are we getting into here? But then I'll tell you what, once it got going and, and, and the glass was really loud at reunion. And yeah. so now all of a sudden these, these rednecks here and we're all a bunch of them. They like the physical stuff. You know, the glass is making the noise. Guys are mm -hmm. fighting, swinging sticks around. And all of a sudden, it was like they knew who I was. They knew who Maddie was. They knew who all these guys were. And they're not talking about mold. And I'm like, this ain't going to last long. <laughs> so it took them a couple months to figure it out. Then everybody just kind of went over to Madonna. But we we found a way to re not reinvent ourselves, but, but you know, they're a football. This is all football here. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the Crave. Download the 7Now delivery app and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious Crave crushers to your door almost before you can say, fuel me up, Sev. You know the Crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just $11.99, order a large hot from the oven in minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a two liter Coke or Pepsi for $2. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats, 24-7. We're in conversation, by the way, with two-time Stanley Cup champion Craig Ludwig. This is the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. Uh, one of the moments that really, I mean, they jumped on it like exactly the way you're talking about, what they what they want to see, the physicality of the football, where you became the real villain. If, if this were the WWF, this was your <laughs> I became a villain moment. And, and I'm sure you know where I'm going. March 1998, and you take out Timo Solani. Tell our audience how that all played out and, quite frankly, the fallout of that. Well, you know, and again, it, 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 you, you're in that in that role and you're trying to, you know, shut those kind of guys down. Yeah. And it, it listen, it wasn't as bad a hit, I don't think, as, as it, when you watch it in slow-mo and, mm -hmm. and Timo kind of lays there. I didn't even think I got him that good. But when you watch it in slow-mo, there might have yeah. been a bit of an elbow there. And so, but but what had, the, the funniest part of that whole thing is, remember the defenseman by the name of Carpa? Yeah, well, I, I remember he he would not give up, man. He wanted you. Oh, he wanted me. And the thing was, is I was I was already in the penalty box, and yep. so he's on the ice and he's getting a score. I think I'm pretty sure he was getting escorted to the penalty box. Also, now there's only like five or six guys left on the entire. Well, Craig, let's 
let's let's clarify for audience. This was the era where you hit somebody, you hit our star. We're yeah, that, all yeah. coming at you. Yeah, and that's okay. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, I mean, you expect that. I mean, that that's yeah, what it's absolutely. supposed to be like. I don't. It's maybe not so much anymore, but but yeah. that's what it's supposed to be. And but the star was the one that is is hurting us. They're you know yeah. they're scoring a goal, so somebody's yeah. got. It was either going to be Hatch or myself. So I think that yeah. I just happened to be there first. And but so then I'm in the box, and there was one guy that was so happy he reaches over and he hands me a beer. He, I mean, he <laughs> hands me a half a beer. <laughs> so and then I turn around and I look. And, and Carp was coming at me, and he's skating towards me, and I see him take his stick, and he flips it around. Now, he's got a linesman kind of next to him, and they're trying to, you know, and he's yeah. all pissed off, and he's coming. And I'm like, what is he doing? And I look down, and I see the little camera hole. I'm like, no, he's not. And so he wants to shish kebab me. He comes over, and in one sw- and I'm standing there. I put myself right in front of the camera hole, and I'm thinking, go ahead. And that, it was like that bullfighter with the cape. And as soon as yeah. he pulled back like that, I just kind of stepped to the side and I ended up grabbing the shaft of the stick. Now we've got a tug of war going on yeah. with the stick and everything. And I, fu- I got it out of his hand and I handed it to a fan and then, you know, but, and then it turned into something else. And, but you know what, that's kind of where the rivalry start from, right? And it absolutely was a little thing there. So, um, yeah. you know, and again, I, I think, you know, playoff times and you're going to play teams like that possibly in the playoffs and, and you kind of set the tone. And I think that's what, again, back to Bob Ganey, that that's what we were about. And Bob then builds a Stanley Cup winning team. And who in did he 19, bring in? Well, you you go ahead, listen, because he he bet he went back to the old school and say, I know who I need here, and he brought the bodies in. And let me tell you, when you when you when you're part of that little move um, from Minnesota to Texas, and the team is kind of changing its complexion, yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, Bob was Bob was the coach in Minnesota, and then coach GM. And then he decided. Was Key Carbono the biggest ad in your mind? Oh, for sure. Okay. I, mean, I mean, wouldn't Carbo be the biggest? And, and Carbo's. We just had him on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he was he was spectacular. Well, and Carbo's not. I mean, and at the time, Carbo Carbo wasn't twenty five. Neither was I. Yeah. But I mean, I can talk to you many things about Carbo. Um, <laughs> okay, but <laughs> for another time. Uh, and, um, but but what happened was all of a sudden here's a player that comes from Montreal and another player comes from Montreal and another player comes from you know Screwy's coming in and Keener's coming and Carbo's coming and so the joke in the room is oh yeah you know Texas North or whatever they were what they were calling us but yeah. what what Bob was doing is he was orchestrating the team and he was bringing in players that played in an environment because there was a comment from Bull one day and him and I were talking and he said. I'm tired of a, of a 500 team. Mm. And at the time I was like, I have no idea, but I know better. I'm not going down this road. I'm not going to ask a question because there's going to be the, the, the professor and the student and he's going to play this game with me. And, and he knew, I think Bob kind of figured out after a while, I know your game. And I, because I would just, if he said, you know, what's wrong with our penalty kill? And I'd kind of go, no, Bob, what's wrong with our penalty kill? So I wasn't going down that road anymore. <laughs> you keep <laughs> your paper. I want nothing to do with this. No, but, you yeah. know, I, but again, always teaching and kind of getting you to yeah. come understand and be 24-7 about the game. What he meant by that was there was too many players that had been in the Minnesota team program there, and they were they were completely content with win one, lose one, win one, yeah. lose one. And he goes, we're changing. The culture's changing. Yeah. And so what did he do? He starts bringing in guys he knows that hates to lose. 
And and I and I said it to some players I have within our team, and I said, "We all love to win, but you got to hate to lose more." And so what yeah. he was doing is he was bringing in those character players that he knew would go through the wall, and yeah. you know, and so that that's where the trend, that's where it began, and that's where the change started to come. And however, whatever he was wheeling and dealing to bring in those kind of guys, I mean, it obviously it, it worked out for us. Yeah, and it was, and it ends up in a great run in 1999 uh, in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and you guys are on a great run. And here's one of those stories I want you to retell it because you could never have gotten away with this Uh-oh. today. Uh-oh. There's no <laughs> shot because everybody's got a cell phone, everybody's got Instagram, everybody's got social media. You could not have gotten away with this. We're in the 1999 Stanley Cup run. You you sweep the Oilers in four straight. Now you've got some time off. How are you going to spend your time off? And, well, you head to Mexico City. Why don't you tell our audience what you did? Again, a reminder, this is during the Stanley Cup playoffs. Okay, so I'll try to keep it as short as I possibly can. So (laughs) our first year in Texas, uh, Matt Pachuk and I are out, and we have a couple days off. And so Maddie and I go on a little expedition, and we were kind of popping around to a couple little different bars and venues and things like that. And so we walk into one place about two o'clock in the afternoon and it's pitch black in there. The stage has got, you know, people up there doing their thing. And so I go, I head to the bathroom and all of a sudden from the darkness right down by the stage, I hear somebody yell, Hey Ludwig. And I turn around and there's this dude with long black hair and he's got this funky looking beard. And there's like 10, 12 guys sitting down there. I and I just go into the bathroom and come back out. He comes up to me and he starts telling me all my stats and stuff like that. Well, it turned out to be Vinnie Paul and a Pantera. And they're down there with Allison Chain. A heavy metal band for those who don't heavy know. Heavy metal band. Allison yeah. Chain and Pantera are sitting down there. They got six bottle, six handles, a crown and all this stuff. So Maddie and I became friends. So I start hanging out with Vinnie, became very, very close. That's where the song came from. And and so that whole thing starts being explain the song, the celebration song. The yes, the puck. The, I think the they play, call yeah. it puck off. They got some yeah. name for it. And yeah. they're still playing and I love it because our music yeah. sucked. And I and I just said to Vinny, hey, do something different. So I go over to his house and Vinny and Diamond's brother, both of them have passed on now. Um, they come up with a song in 24 hours. So so then they're they are now fabric of the team. And and so I'm I'm spending a lot of time with Vinny and a couple other guys are also and so, and he knows that I'm a Metallica fan. And so, and which didn't bother him, surprise. They didn't bother him. So he calls me up. I had given him my tickets that the game when I think we closed out Edmonton. Anyway, I get a phone call from about midnight. And he says, uh, be at the airport tomorrow at 6 a.m. I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, I'd be at the airport at 6 a.m. I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, you're coming with us. I said, come with, what are you talking about? He goes, uh, we're heading to Mexico City. I said, Vinny, we're in the middle of the playoffs right now. Yeah. I can't there. <clears throat> and so he says, um, he goes, yeah, but you told me tonight, he goes, you guys got like four days off before you're going to practice because you got, you know, they didn't adjust anything. You have all this time off. I said, I, I, there's no way I'm doing this. And I hang up the phone within five minutes. I call him back. I said, what time and where are we leaving from? And so, because it was, a, he, and when he told me, he goes, we're going, we're going with uh, Metallica. We're opening up for Metallica in Mexico city and you're coming with us. And I said, and so I sat there and I went, okay. And then I went in, told my wife at the time, and she goes, what? Do whatever you want. It's one of them kind of answers. Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyways, I, and, and before I go I, that night, I said, I got to tell someone. I got to call somebody in somewhere because no one's going to believe this. Something goes bad here. Somebody's got to know yeah. where I am. 
So I call one of the guys, and he's, he's the last guy with the with the team that came over from Minnesota. I called Stuke up and I said, "Listen, I gotta. I'm telling you what's going on." And he says, "What?" And I said, "I just want somebody to know." And he goes, "Why are you telling me?" I said, "I don't know who else to call. I ain't calling Ganey." I said, "That's for yeah. sure." <laughs> so, so anyways, um, I, and then I said to him, "I said, Stuke, you love Metallica and you love Vinny. You love Penta. Why don't you come along?" And he goes, "No." And he calls me back in five minutes. He goes, "What time?" And I said, are you coming he gets to the airport? And I says to him, who, who did you tell? And it, it was Doug. It was army. He called Doug Armstrong. He, oh, he told army. I said, what did army say? And he goes, he said, I don't know nothing. And he hung up. So yeah. we get on the plane, we go to Mexico city and we hang out with Metallica and Pantera for, it was only really less than 24 hours, maybe a little over yeah. 24 hours. And so no harm, no foul. And we make it back. Everything's fine. The concert was a little shady, and here in Mexico City, and so anyway, but but that's kind of how. And I know it was. So stupid. you come back, not only that, but you come back. You end up winning the Stanley Cup, and guess where you party with the cup? Well, I had no choice in that one. I, <laughs> I knew where I was going. Yeah, and Vinny Vinny brings me over, and he goes, "Bring it, come on, you're coming over." Because I took it to my buddy's bar, and it just happens to be right down the street from where Vinny lives. And so we went from my buddy's bar, where all the guys would hang out. Um, anyways. And so I thought that was appropriate. And then at bar time, he said, everybody's coming over. And so, yeah, we, and, and the thing was, is it, you know, Vinny's got a, on the bottom of his pool because they were all drinking crown Royal. That was their thing at the time. Yeah. So he's got a big logo. The crown logo is painted on the bottom of Vinny's pool. And, somehow, and what ended up, what else ended up in the pool? Uh, well, it, it actually, <laughs> I think it turned out to be a pretty good picture because that thing, that, that Stanley cup was sitting right, right next to that crown logo. That's Carbo's one of Carbo's favorite stories, talking about the fact that they got the Stanley Cup in somebody's pool. But he never told us it was Vinnie Paul's mansion that you guys were at. That's a great story, man. Well, he knows you, now. Everybody knows now. Lynn's gonna be yeah. his wife's probably gonna be pissed now that I said this, but <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. That is just a spectacular story. That's spe where are you, where are your Stanley Cup rings today? Um in Wisconsin. My I, yeah. I don't I don't um I think in the beginning I, I wore them and, uh, and then, you know, they're so, they're so nice and yeah. the places I go, <laughs> you don't, you don't need to wear them there, you know, it, it's just going to invite trouble. So, um, but I, I, I try to get them on once in a while. Like I may even wear one of them tonight and I know it's broadcast, but tonight is game three here in Dallas. So yeah. uh, I may one wear, one wear one to the game tonight. So we'll see. Are you still are you still loving life? I know you got you were involved in the Dallas Stars broadcast for years. Now you're watching the, you know, what they're able to do now, and uh, you got you got into some coaching. You're still doing some coaching now. Are you still loving life? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I get I skate five times a day. I play in a couple leagues here, and we're on the ice with our 18 year old kids uh, five days a week. We pretty much travel three weekends a month. We're flying somewhere with with these guys, and so you're trying to all these things that I'm talking about. You're trying to get in their heads you know we're trying to help them understand how good they can be and and give them a shot at getting to whatever junior team they want to go to and ideally for me because I, I it was the road i took i'm trying to get them to understand you know you, you may get a chance here to, to go to a college and at the end of the day yeah. even if you don't make it you got something to fall back on you know so so it, it's nice to be able to do that and it, it keeps me kind of just doing i've just been doing the same thing and it gives me time to jump on the bike and do some riding. Uh, I think I'm going to, I'll probably take the Harley to Wisconsin on the first trip right up there for 14 hours or whatever it is. And so it's enjoyable. It gives me a little bit of time, but like today we're, we're on the ice again at 
three o'clock today. So that kind of gets in the way, but that only lasts until beginning of June. And then we got, you know, the three months off. You sound like you're loving life, my friend. It has been so much fun catching up with you. Will you do something for me? Sure. Uh, every, every one of these podcasts, we like to do uh, five quick facts that people might not know about you uh, and just have some fun with it. You up for it? You up for playing it? Are you asking the questions? I'll ask the question. You give me a quick answer to it. Okay. Yeah. Well, you can edit the, all this out. So that's perfect. No, no, no. They're easy. Okay. Number one of our five quick facts. Who was your favorite teammate during your playing career and why? Oh, it's a man. You can't tell me somebody can answer that question and say one guy. I, I would, I respect, I already talked about Bob and, and Larry and, and yeah. now looking back, I know how important they were. I, I'm going to, I have to give you two and I'd say Chelly and Carbo, you know, wow. they, they were, they yeah. were my roomies. I mean, and you know, for the time that I was there and you know, we, we were all my children and uh, Carbo, I was all my children. Chelly was all my children and Carbo were days <laughs> days of our lives and they're on at the same time. So as roomies, that was a bit of a problem sometimes, but I, I'm going to, I'm going to go with, with Carbo and Shelly. Yeah. A couple of hall of famers. That's a yeah. nice selection. Good. Look. Yeah, that's <laughs> who I roll with. <laughs> did you have any pregame rituals or superstitions that to this day, maybe you don't understand why you did it, but you had to do it. Yeah. No, the only thing I probably did is if, if things weren't going well for the team or me, I may drive a different route to the game, you know, and I do it to this day. I'll tell a bus driver, Nope, we're not going this way. We lost yesterday. We're going there. and they'll look around and they'll go, I would say that. And I ate the same thing every day, which I think everybody does, you know, the, the, the chicken and pasta thing, but I don't think that's anything nobody's heard about. You got to experience some spectacular goalies, two of the greatest goalies in NHL history, Patrick Wah and Ed Belfour. If you had to have one of them to win one game, who would it be? I'm going to say Eddie. And and that may sound strange because so Patrick was the ultimate competitor. Um, Eddie's got a whiskey company. So I'm going to go with Belfort Spirits and Ed Belfort. <laughs> That's a good thing. That's good forethought. That's good. Uh, best, best, sorry, best coach you ever played for? Gainey, Bob. Whether it was a coach or you know, and and, and Hitch, and I like Hitch. I, I'm, I'm, I have a fondness. I talk to Hitch a lot. I, I, the reason, but, but Bob, it's Bob. The question, the answer is Bob, but I'm going to throw Hitch in there because what I respected the most about Ken Hitchcock was that he treated the superstars like he treated us and vice versa. And you don't see that often. And he held them just as accountable for things that were going on as they did with us. And sometimes, you know, the other guys get the short end of the stick sometimes. And I respected Hitch for that. But Bob, the first guy always pops in my head is Bob Gagan. Awesome. Uh, obviously, you've got some great memories. You know, we just spent the last 30 minutes talking about some of those great memories. If you had to pick one single memory moment that you could relive again, what would that be? Uh, I would say taking the Stanley Cup to my hometown. The, the first kick mm-hmm. of the can there, that policy wasn't in place. I was able to take it to Wisconsin and then, um, which is a whole nother story, but um, I got, and we brought some, there were some teams from the UP in, in Michigan, a coach I had in high school was able to bring a couple of the kids teams down. They got to see the cup and then to see the look on the face of the cup guy, when they called and said that Mr. Hicks didn't need it and I could have it for a couple more days. And I said, okay. And I said, I know where I can take it. I had a biker bar about 90 miles away. And he looked at me and he goes, we're not taking the cup to this biker bar, are we? And I said, yeah, we are. And so again, we lost it for a little while, but that's been done. For a while. <laughs> uh, but just, just to have the opportunity. Uh, so I had that thing for five days. And so it was, and I had it for the 4th of July, uh, the parade in my little hometown. And so 
to be able to see the looks on their faces and to be able to feel it and touch it and all that kind of stuff for the people that they, they were behind you, you know, since you were in high school. And so that those guys could finally appreciate it and see it. I would love to be able to do that all over again. That's why I'm hoping I'm hoping the stars pull out this thing because Joe Pavelski will be bringing it to Wisconsin and I might be able to steal it for a day. Craig, this has been spectacular. I got to tell you, it's uh, it's been so long since the last time you and I spoke to the the sea, the joie de vivre that you still have in your life. And I use that French because you got to speak uh, French when you yeah, were back I, in I Montreal. Can, I can I can I can talk in beer language now if I go there. I don't be as play. Oh, see, there you go. Well played. Oh, yeah. I got the this- I got the most important phrases down. I got that. Yeah, that's true. Thanks again for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. I'm so happy for you that things are going, still going so well for you. It sounds like your health is still fantastic and you're still loving life. And listen, it's been great having this conversation with you and catching up with you again, my friend. You know, I appreciate you reaching out to a little guy like me and uh, I, I mean, I'm still following all everything that goes on in Canada. We know that that is the center of the universe when it comes to sports. So um, this time of the year, too, I love you what you guys are talking about. I appreciate being on. That was two-time Stanley Cup champion, two-time NCAA champion, one of the greatest shot blockers in NHL history, and wow, what a great storyteller, Craig Ludwig. The Overtime Podcast is proudly presented by 7-Eleven. Before leaving the rink, order your favorite Slurpee, fresh 100% premium Arabica coffee, hot from the oven pizza and wings, pint of ice cream, or even a carton of milk, a dozen eggs, and a loaf of bread from the 7Now app and Team 7-Eleven. We'll have your order ready for pickup 24-7. Hey, if you missed any parts of the show, don't worry. Visit our website at overtimepodcast.ca where you can both listen and subscribe to future shows. 7-Eleven's Overtime Podcast can be found on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Until next week, I'm Gino Retta saying so long, hockey fans, and thanks for joining us on the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the crave. Download the 7-Now delivery app, and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious crave crushers to your door almost before you can say... Fuel me up, Sev. You know the crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just $11.99, order a large hot-from-the-oven-in-minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a 2-liter Coke or Pepsi for $2. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats 24-7.